0: Hi everyone, welcome back to the Quantum Heart Cafe. Uh, thank you, all. I hope all of you are having a great great week so far and, uh, and sorry for being late. I was having some personal issues on the week or weekend and I had some plumbing issues that I had to deal with and plus I wasn't completely finished the book and so I didn't want to uh, just do the show, but had only read maybe two-thirds of the book, because I just don't want to, you know, I want to put some effort and thought into my show, so I figured, oh, you know, it's it's just one of those things where life happens, and plus, I also just wanted to make sure I read the book so I can uh, give you an honest, uh, an honest, um, I guess, an honest synopsis on, or honest take, on what the book is about, and my thoughts about the book, and how the book kind of relates to <clears throat> what's going on in society right now. Um, I don't know, as I'm reading these books, like as I'm reading uh, The Wrinkle in Time and The never-ending Story, I'm getting a lot of really cool insights. And what I hope is helpful, I don't want to call them tips, but maybe just helpful um, lessons, I guess, On how I can maybe navigate through the weird times that we're in and then maybe by sharing those insights with you maybe that'll help inspire you either you know maybe to read the book if you haven't or just to give you some food for thought on how we can navigate this strange world that we're in right now Um, I I feel like there's a lot of wisdom and not just books but stories and and that's why I i am reading these stories. And it's, and I found that just some of the more profound stories that I've read so far happen to be geared more, or they say they're geared towards kids, but adults can read them too. Um, and I don't know, it's just really, it's interesting. And it, it's interesting how I'm noticing that the world is kind of responding to that. And so it, it, it's neat. And, um... I mean, those aren't the only books that I'm going to be focused on, and I want to kind of... I'll get back to that near the end of the show, where um, I'm going to ta- be talking about what I'm going to be doing for next week's show. So it's the show isn't just going to focus on reading stories like the, you know, like the never-ending story in A Wrinkle in Time. It'll also focus on reading books about health, books about spirituality, I hope having some interviews with these offer, authors, and just being a a podcast or being a medium that can offer or just encourage us to use the gift of our imagination, the gift of our intelligence, uh, through discussing themes like like love and themes of um, you know colonialism and so on through the context of the books that I read throughout the throughout the week. And without further ado, now that I said that, I just wanted to uh, share my moment of gratitude. So I am grateful that uh, we had another uh, kind of period of gray grayish weather, but on Monday, like, it was pretty gray out, and kind of foggy, but I promised myself on Monday that I would go on a photo rock walk because I really enjoy, I started about a couple years ago, I started getting involved with photography and nothing, you know, i just an amateur photog- photographer, so nothing too crazy. I do enjoy going out and photographing what I think is are beautiful moments that I see and Usually, you know, I'll make up the excuses like, oh, I can only go photograph stuff when it's in the sunshine and it's pretty. But I decided to challenge myself and see if I could find beauty in the in the fog, and beauty in the the gray. And I did, and i was so grateful for that because it just it challenged my belief, and I was able to take certain pictures that I wouldn't have been able to take if it was. In the sunshine and so I wonder um, it just kind of brought home to me that I could find beauty in some of the more there's always beauty in some of the more desolate places or there's always beauty among the gray it's just being open to finding it and it will find you just as that those beautiful photos kind of found me when I was out on my walk and so I was grateful for that lesson. That was a good lesson that day. And of course I have my coffee. I'm actually almost out of that save on brand, so I'm getting close to the point where I'll be able to start uh, trying coffee from local coffee shops and stuff, but I just don't wanna waste the save on, or the yeah, I don't wanna waste a save on brand, so I'm just gonna finish that first. Uh, so almost, almost there, still working through it. And it's good coffee. I, I, I do, I do enjoy drinking this coffee. And I also enjoyed reading uh, the Never Ending Story. I thought it was really good. I first, the first time I heard about the Never Ending Story was through the movie. When I was a younger, I watched the first movie, Never Ending Story, which was made in the nineteen eighties, and I liked it. I, I loved it, and. You know, there was certain parts in that movie that uh, really kind of—I don't want to say traumatized—but it definitely left a mark on me when I was younger. Like especially when um, the horse, uh, you know, dies in the swamps of sadness. That was so sad. I was like, no, such a nice horse. Or the moment when Art- uh, Atrey- <clears> our <throat> sorry, excuse me, Art- faces off with the Gamorg i hope i'm saying that right and in the movie and that was kind of like i mean it wasn't scared but there was that scene between him and talking to the gomorak which is like this wolf-like uh, being that is chasing him throughout the story to try and stop him from saving the never or saving what in the book sorry in the movie is called fantasia but in the book, it's called Fantastica. So when I'm talking about the, the movie, and I, I'm not going to talk about the movie too much, but I just want to kind of compare or contrast it just a little bit. Um, so when I'm talking about the movie, I'll say Fantasia. When I'm talking about the book, I'm going to say Fantastica because that's what the author, uh, Michael End, that's what he named the world is Fantastica. So I want to, I kind of want to respect that. So I'm going to call um, I'm going to refer to the world as Fantastica when I'm talking about the book. Uh, and before I go into the book, in the movie, when Artreyu is trying to save Fantasia, he is chased by this being called the Gamork, and it's he's this wolf-like creature that, kind of like a werewolf maybe, uh, is trying to hunt, hunt Artreu and kill him. And the reason why is because um, Gamork, the Gamorak was sent by the I guess the power behind the nothing to help it along. Like in the both both in the book and the movie there's this this it's not really a being, it's just like it's it's called the nothing. And if you have read the book or seen the movie then you'll understand what I'm you'll know what I'm talking about. But the nothing is kind of it's very similar to how the Ekthros and a wind in the door. And if you haven't listened to my last week, I spoke about a book called a wind in the wind in the door by Madeline uh, Engel. And in that book, there were these beings called ekthros and their task was to extinguish creation by unnaming things. And so that's kind of what the never or the nothing is trying to do in uh, the never ending story is destroy fantasia is to turn literally turn it into nothing and in the and Gamorak was sent by whatever the power is behind the nothing to help that along because when we he was saying when we don't have nothing or we don't have dreams that we that mankind is easy to control so I think I'm paraphrasing that. I haven't seen the movie in a long time, so forgive me if I got that bit mixed up. But that part always stuck with me and how important our imagination is. And then when I read the book, the themes of imagination and the themes of how important our imaginations are really came into focus because that was a very deep... like Michael N. did a much deeper dive into the themes of imagination, both the light side... Have imagination and the dark side of imagination i'll get to that in a after i kind of give the synopsis of the story Um, so what i'm going to do is i'm just kind of going to give a summary of what the story was about i won't go into too too many details just because i think it's nice if you get the chance to read it and if i do go into the stories this is going to be a long show because it's quite it's pretty detailed it's a fast it's a beautiful book like, if you ever have a chance to read a never-ending story, I highly recommend it. Um, because I think it's also a, a book that really, you know, especially as an adult, like, it's very easy for us to take our imaginations for granted. And the book just kind of reminds us of how beautiful and wonderful imaginations are. But there is kind of a dark side to that, too, so I'll get to that in a bit. Uh, so, and after my synopsis, synopsis that's when I'll kind of go into my thoughts about the book and how I think some of the themes in the book can be relatable to what at least what I'm seeing in society right now and and my own kind of personal experience as well uh, so the book starts off but it, it kind of st- the what was interesting about the book and the movie is that the movie takes place in the first, i say the first third of the book, or maybe the first half of the book is the movie. And that's where, uh, you know, at the beginning of the book, uh, Bastion, who's our main character, uh, he's being chased, chased in the streets by some bullies. And so he runs into this antique book... I think it's an antique bookshop, but he runs into this bookshop. And it's um, run by a man named Mr... Carl Conrad Coriander and so he runs into the bookshop and he meets Mr. Coriander you know and they have an exchange and Mr. Coriander is kind of a little dismissive of Bastion and and, you know doesn't really think too much of Bastion because in the book Bastion is described as a, a boy between the ages of 10 to 12 and he's kind of described as being overweight and I think maybe a little short and stuff so you know he doesn't. He's nothing. Doesn't really have like a striking, heroic image. He's just a. He's just a normal little boy. So the, uh, and Mister Coriander kind of treats him, that way, and, so they, they have a bit of an exchange, and then Bastian notices a book, and he, and it's a beautiful book. He notices. It has um. Copper. I think it's like copper, not copper plated, but it's just, it's, um, surrounded by, I think, yeah, sh- surrounded by copper and it has an, um, it's kind of like a, it's not an, am- it's kind of like a medallion a little bit and it has the medallion on the front of the book and that's Orin and Orin's going to be really, Orin becomes pretty important, uh, throughout the story and what it is, it's a, it kind of looks like it's, It looks like a medallion. Well, it is a medallion. And it's a medallion where two snakes are eating each other's tail. It's kind of like the Ouroboros, where that's one snake eating its tail. But with this, it's two snakes eating its tail. And it's a light snake and a dark snake. And uh, Bastion is drawn to this book. It's like his destiny. He can't take his eyes off of it. He's fixated on it, and so he, uh, when Mr. Coriander goes to answer a phone, uh, Bastion has an overwhelming desire to steal the book, and he does. Uh, he steals the book. It's like, it's like he can't not steal it. He feels like this is destiny, that he's supposed to have this book. And so he takes the book, and he runs out of the, the, the bookstore, and he runs to school. And instead of going to class, because he already figured that he's already late, like it's his class has already started, and I think it's like nine in the morning or something. So he figures that why doesn't he just go read the book? So he he, sne- he makes it into the school, and he sneaks up to the attic, and he locks himself in the attic, and he uh, starts reading the book. And when he be- when, when he begins to read the book, uh, he's 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 not yet transported into Fantastica. Um, but he picks up where uh, in the story of Fantastica, there's a group of messengers, like it begins with a group of messengers uh, meeting each other, and they meet because they're all they're all traveling to the ivory tower to go and speak with the childlike empress because because of the nothing, because the nothing is starting to devour their respective uh, towns their communities their countries and so they're understandably they're alarmed and worried and they want to go they go to the childlike empress at the ivory tower to seek her guidance on what we can and what they can do like what can you know what can we do to stop this like all of fantastica is in danger and so they they all they they all travel to these messengers travel to the ivory tower and that's where we meet. And when we get there, it turns out that there's mes- it's messengers from all over Fantastica. Like this is the nothing is affecting everywhere. It's not just in a, a few places. And we also find find out that the childlike Empress is very sick. Um, like all the best doctors in the in the world, they, they don't know what's wrong with her. They've tried treating her with everything they can think of, and she's still ill. And so that, that kind of drives home, at least that drove home to me, like how Fantastica and the childlike empress have a relationship with each other, and how the nothing, I mean, the, the empress is sick because of the nothing. So when uh, when we reach the ivory tower, the childlike empress summons her best physician, and he's a centaur named and I also wanted to quickly mention too that the Gamork is in the book but he's he's a bit different from what they depict in the movie. And he's still hunting Artryu throughout Fantastica but Artreyu doesn't actually uh, kill him. What happens is that Gamork gets trapped by uh, a princess and it, her name escapes me but he's trapped in a city and he's defeated and he's chained and, and they can't He can't get rid of the chains. The only person that can get rid of the chains is the princess. But the princess has already jumped into the nothing. And I'll get to that in a moment. But there was a really cool and interesting exchange between the Gamorak and Artreyu, which is different in the book than it was in the movie. And in the book, the uh, Gamorak describes himself as like a dual... He's like a dual-like creature in a way that, like, when I say dual, is the Gomorrah is able to travel between the human world and Fantastica, whereas Fantas- people from, uh, or creatures from Fantastica, they can travel to the human world, but they can't come back. And when they go, do go into the human world, they transform into lies. And I was just like, oh, wow, that's really interesting. And, uh, and the city... Oh, it just, it just came to me. The city where the Gomorrah and our trio meet is called Spook City. And it's a city that had like kind of ghostly inhabitants, but they're not they're not there anymore. All the inhabitants... Uh, when our trio meet gets to Spook City, all the inhabitants are gone. And they've jumped into the nothing. Because I don't know... I can't remember if this was talked about in the movie, but in the book... When they describe the nothing, it almost it has like this irresistible pull. It's like when you when a, a creature from Fantasia becomes part of its orbit, so to speak, it, it gets pulled in, kind of like a black hole. Like it has its own sense of gravity, and it what happens is that it pulls the creatures into itself through desires. It's like the there's a desire once people are in its orbit there's a desire that builds up with them that they want to jump into the nothing. And so what happened was that the the creatures in Spook City, that's what happened, is that they they jumped in. Another really interesting thing about the nothing is when people get close, or people, well, not just people, but people in places, as the nothing gets closer to them, they turn, start turning into gray. Like, they lose their colors, and they lose what makes them, like... Actually, I think it's mostly just color. like they lose their color, like they become um, just like a gray, these gray beings almost. And I thought that was really interesting. It's like all their creativity is just like getting sucked out of them, and and so when the Gamor, the Gamorak and Artryu meet in Spook City, that's when Arturia find, finds out that the Gamorak was looking for him, and was looking to stop him from. Saving the childlike Empress, and the Gamorik also says or said to Atreyu that um, and I'm gonna start kind of paraphrasing or quoting from the book. Uh, so the Gamorik, when he's talking to Atreyu, he says that humans hate Fantastica and everything that comes from comes from there or comes from here. They want to destroy it, and they don't realize that by trying to destroy it, they multiply the lies that keep flooding the human world. For these lies are nothing other than the creatures and fantastica who have ceased to be themselves and survive only as living corpses, poisoning the souls of men and their fetid smell. But humans don't know it. Isn't that a good joke? (laughs) So it's just like, oh, wow, that's like... It was a little even more profound than the movie. Um, And then, let's see. I just have the book in front. And then that Gamorg also goes on to say, In fact, that's the heart of the matter, don't you see? If humans believe Fantastica doesn't exist, they won't get the idea of visiting your country. And as long as they don't know you creatures and Fantastica as you really are, the manipulators do what they like with them. Whatever the, And then Artreyu asked, what can they do? And then the Gomorrah said, they as the, the manipulators. Uh, what can they do? Whatever they please. When it comes to controlling human beings, there is no better instrument than lies. Because you see, humans le- live by beliefs, and beliefs can be ni- manipulated the power to, ban- to manipulate beliefs is the only thing that counts. That's why I sided with the powerful and served them because I wanted to share in their power. I think in the in the movie, I mean the, the Gamora kind of alludes to this in the movie where he says that he's a servant of the power behind the nothing. But in the, what I really appreciate about the book is that the go- Gamora kind of gets goes into a, a bit more further detail of the people or I guess the, the manipulators that he um, that he serves and that he was there, he was sent to ensure the destruction of Fantastica and to hunt and and part of that was to hunt Artreyu and try and stop him and I'm going to get to that and those quotes in a bit um, I'm just going to finish off the synopsis otherwise I'll go off into like a completely random tangent and I won't come back so I'm going to continue just continue on with the synopsis and finish all, that off before I go back and kind of look at the at those quotes that the Gamork, uh said because I think that that's kind of what he was saying is kind of it feels like oh, I, I get maybe you know like Madeline Ingle uh, maybe Michael End and also had some, um, I would say maybe he had some insights or was aware of kind of the manipulations going on in society at his time. And I think uh, there's a lot of food for thought there. So I'll, I'll definitely be coming back to those th- those uh, quotes in a moment. So once uh, the Gamork dies and... Our leaves leaves uh, Spook City, and he has taken to. He eventually does go go back to the uh, childlike Empress and the Ivory Tower, and he's he's upset. He feels like he's failed his mission because he's just like I don't, I don't know. I didn't find a cure. I, I don't understand. Like how am I? He's like, how am I supposed to find a human to bring back? Because what he found, what he realized throughout his quest is that. It's a human being that needs to save the that says Fantastica and a childlike empress because when humans used to visit Fantastica and they would give the childlike empress a new name and so Artree was like, Well where do I find a human? Like how how can I leave the border of Fantasia and then you know, with his exchange with the Gomorrah, he finds out that yes he can leave Fantasia but he would never be able to come back again. And then, even if he does leave Fantasia, <clears throat> he wouldn't be himself. He would just be this, this empty, an empty lie. Like he wouldn't be Arturia anymore. He'd be like one of the delusions that are plaguing mankind right now. And Arturia doesn't want that. So he goes to the childlike Empress, feeling that he's failed in his mission, and the childlike empress is saying, no, you did precisely what I asked you to do. And Artreus is kind of puzzled. He's like, oh, wh- what does that mean? And he said, and she said, you brought the human with you. And the human is uh, Bastion. Uh, and the childlike empress is, she was, she alludes to it in the story a few times where she's, she says that, you know, Bastion is is reading the book. The human is reading the book and he's he's following along. And then there was kind of glimpses of of Bastion and Artreou throughout his quest. And so you kind of get, as a reader, I kind of got the sense that, okay, so Bastion is, he's the, he's the human that's going to be, that's tasked with saving the Empress. And at first, Bastion isn't sure if he's worthy of such a task, right? Because he doesn't, again, he didn't have High self esteem or, or any sort of self love. So when he got tasked with this, he was surprised. He's just like, oh, like, me? Like, I didn't, I don't think I'm worthy. You know, he kind of goes through that uh, a little bit. And then there's a, a moment in the story where, you know, the childlike Empress, she's at kind of, um, not her wits' end, but she knows there's not much time left. So she kind of goes and she forces Sebastian, or, sorry, Sebastian, she forces uh, Bastion to, to name her, to come up with a name, and so eventually he comes around to it, and eventually he says, yes, okay, I'll give you a name, and he names her Moonchild, and as soon as he names her, he actually enters, that's when he crosses over into Fantastica, and that's like, that, you don't see that in the movie, um... But that's kind of where the second half of the book begins, is when, when Bastion crosses over into Fantastica. And this is where the book got really interesting for me. And what happens is that when Bastion co- uh, crosses over into Fantastica, he meets uh, the Childlike Empress. And at first, he's kind of embarrassed because he's not like a hero. You know, he's not like a brave tall, handsome, or at least he doesn't feel like he's a brave, tall, handsome hero like Artreyu, and so he's kind of embarrassed to show himself uh, to the child like empress, and he she kind of sees that a little bit, and um, kind of, he kind of alludes to that he would he wishes that he was stronger, that he was handsome, and he was better looking, and uh, she begins to grant him that wish and so and what happens as well is that she gifts him Auron that amulet so the amulet that Arturian was wearing throughout the first half of the book the childlike empress uh, gifts to him and so he begins the the arm the or he begins to wear the amulet and the amulet kind of gives him the ability to to do what he wishes and he even has that inscription on the back of the the on um, the back of Arn there's a description, do as you wish. And at first he be, you know, he takes that as like, oh, he can kinda of do whatever he wants. And he kinda of does. He begins by going off on some really cool adventures and he's you know, he uses his imagination uh, to create beautiful forests and a multicolored desert and he meets a really cool lion and all the while he's wearing Arn and Arn um, Keeps him safe as well, like the the power in Arin. Like he, um, and and also too, the beings in Fantastica recognize Arin, so they, when they see Arin, they immediately respect Bastion. Um, but there's a catch, <laughs> and so the catch is that every time uh, Bastion makes a wish, he loses part of his memory, and he doesn't pick up on that and tell a little further on the, in the book but you know he starts to make wishes and he tries to wish things for people uh, you know to help him out and to also um, kind of gain good favor in the eyes of people as, or in the eyes of the inhabitants of Fantastica too uh, and sometimes it's kind of interesting like sometimes when he wishes for something the wishes go horribly wrong like um you know, he was trying to, there's these creatures and they were, I can't remember how to pronounce the name, but they were these really ugly creatures. They were the ugliest creatures in all of uh, Fantastica, but they made these beautiful structures made out of silver. <clears throat> so it was kind of like that, uh, you know, there's beauty in ugliness has its own beauty kind of thing. <clears throat> but these creatures were sand and Sebastian felt bad and thought, oh, he would help them. And then he would also kind of go down in history for that. You know, Fantastica history is helping these creatures, and they end up turning into clowns and causing all sorts of mayhem. So that's one example of how he's going along this journey uh, wishing, making these wishes, and and actually it starts to become... (laughs) It really does start to take a toll on his memory, and, and it also takes a toll on who he is, because without our past, there's no future. And so as he loses his memory, and as he makes these wishes uh, throughout the story, he starts to lose his sense of self. And you start to see in in the mo- or in the book, like he he starts acting less and less like Bastion and more like an em- like a, a, ch- a spoiled child emperor. And he goes on, uh, he goes on this, uh, and as he's going through the journey, he also meets Artreyu in person, and so there's also a bit of a clash between Bastion and Artreyu, where Artreyu feels like Bastion, you know, it's time for Bastion to go home, and because Bastion's home life isn't that great, Bastion doesn't want to leave Vantage or Fantastica, and so. <clears throat> There's a conflict ensuing between the two friends there. And it culminates where uh, there's a big fight between Artreyu and Bastion as Artreyu is trying to save Bastion because Artreyu realizes that as as long as Bastion is wearing Arn and make and continuing to make these wishes, he's losing his memory and eventually he won't be able to leave Fantastica. And so Artreyu is trying to get Or trying to get Bastion to give up Aron and to go home because it's part of his now that he knows about Fantastica he can go home and tell other people about it and then they can more and more people can start to believe in Fantastica again whereas if Bastion just stays there then Fantastica risks falling a victim to the nothing again and so Artreyu knows this, and he's trying to like, and maybe he didn't go about the uh, by a great way, but he's trying to get Bastion just to, to to go home. And he's not trying to be mean about it, but he's like genuinely concerned about his friend because he he loves his friend. And so it um it culminates in a big fight between uh, Bastion as Bastion's um you know, starts to take on an emperor-type archetype, and I'd say a dark side emperor, where he becomes very controlling, very cold to the people around him, very to towards Artreyu, and um, he's about to cr- uh, crown himself in this coronation, and that's when Artreyu comes in, and they have the big fight, and there's, a, a, there's two armies going at each other, and there's a lot of violence, and... Eventually, you know, Bastion—he's so mad at Artreyu that he he chases Artreyu out, and he comes across an old emperor city, and that's where we find that there have been humans that have visited Fantastica before, and like Bastion, they didn't want to go home; they wanted to stay there. And so, what happened is, as they kept wishing, they start—they kept losing their memory, all the to, to the point where you know, maybe they only had one or two wishes left, and eventually they, with those last two wishes, they lost who they, the sense of themselves, and they lost their name, and, and they too also tried to become the emperors of Fantastica, and it didn't work. What's interesting about the people in Fantastica is that they don't, they don't even remember who they are, like, I mean it's, it, it was comical reading it and it was also sad at the same time because like they would do things like they would put shaving cream on a mirror and, and try to shave it or they would or one person would take a cart, pick it up, move it, put it down and then forget what they were doing and then they would walk away. Another person would take the cart, move it, forget it and walk away like or they were trying to nail uh hammer nails into socks or something like that. Like they weren't <laughs> They weren't all there, it's kind of like they were they lost their minds, they lost their sense of self. And Bastion was horrified by this and he was also horrified by how he treated his friend Artreyu. And he realizes that he has lost quite a bit of his memory and he only has a few precious wishes left before he completely loses himself. So he sets off on a new quest to go home. To try and find his way home and find his way back to himself, ultimately. And he goes through sort of like a, it's almost like a redemptive arc where, you know, he feels horrible for what he did. And he, you know, he tries to kind of reclaim, he works hard to reclaim who he was. And, you know, you find that ultimately, he he still kind of is trying to figure out. What his, you know, real wish is. It's not just some, like, shallow want, like, wanting to be brave or courageous. But what is his true wish? What in his heart does he want? And so it's this last part of the book where he finally figures that out. And and he finds that his strongest, like, near the end of that quest, he discovers that his strongest wish is to be capable of love and to give love to others. And he thought about his father, and and that was one of the last mem- memories that he had was his father and his name, and so he goes through uh, that that journey and he figures that out, and so and now he just wants to go home, and before he he's allowed to go home, he has to drink, uh, he has to find the water of life and I think drink it and bring bring a cup of that back to his loved ones and, and he find he does find the the water of life. And upon finding it he also gives Artreyu back um, R and the Amulet. And Artreyu real or Bastion realizes that he has stories that he created in Fantastica that aren't finished yet. And you know, this Artreyu um, says that he would finish them for Bastion was uh, so just like, oh, that's a great. Artray was a great friend. I really liked his character. And 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 with that, Bastion uh, is then allowed to finally go home to the human world, go back home, and he's a changed person. And so he be- he comes home and he finds that his father's waiting for him. A day had passed when he was in the the story, and his father was worried sick and just happy to see him. And it's kind of like his father broke out of his uh, the deep grief he had over the loss of his wife, and he was able to reconnect with Bastion again, and they are able to feel that love for each other. And um, Bastion, also feeling bad that he stole Mr. Coriander's book, goes to Mr. Coriander and apologizes for stealing the never-ending story, but he's like, I don't know where the book is, because upon entering the world... Uh, the never-ending story book disappeared, bashing, can't, he can't find it, he doesn't know where it went. And so Mr. Coriander basically says, don't worry about it, like that, I mean, he, he himself was, has been to Fantastica, and he said that book is probably now with someone else who's destined to read the story and kind of go through a similar journey, so it's just like, oh, that's really cool. And I found that story to be Never-ending story would be a really cool book about like for me the the main theme for Never-ending story was our imagination and I feel like Fantastica was a metaphor for imagination and uh, the power of our of our imagination but then there's also a, a dark side to our imagination where I mean it, as Bastion went as was going through his kind of story arc it's almost like he went from a protagonist to an antagonist because he allowed the power of that imagination to kind of go through his head and it kind of turned him into a, a, a little you know an emperor where he forced people to do things for him you know his very strong will and And what I really appreciated about the never-ending story is that is that there is like that theme of our imagination, like how important our imagination is. And I feel like Fantastica is a metaphor for our imagination and for our intelligence. And I remember listening to a lecture online by John Trudell, and He was saying that, you know, he was encouraging people to use the gift of our intelligence to think our way through what's going on right now and not just to believe stuff. Um, He was saying that when we believe something, it's like we turn our thinking off. He was saying that it's easy to believe something, right? Like it's kind of when you believe something, it's almost like you're giving your thought and your intelligence and your creativity over to someone else, and most often that's over to, you know, I, I, I use air quotes, the experts, or over to the government, or over to corporations, or the industrial ruling class, or what have you. And he was saying that like now it's really important to use the gift of our intelligence to think coherently. And that's very different from belief because thinking requires that we sit up and start paying attention. And it's not just thinking in terms of like logic and stuff, but thinking about thinking in terms of using our our creative gifts and using our imagination to think of maybe to start thinking of other ways to be in the world. You know, maybe we need to start naming, maybe like naming the metaphorical childlike empress like the it's almost like in wider society there is this sort of nothing that is devouring or trying to devour the living world and it kind of reminds me of with the book a wind in the door how the Ekthros were trying to extinguish creation by unnaming things because when things are unnamed, or at least in the book, when things were unnamed, they stopped existing, like they to ceased to, to be. And so, you know, there's kind of like that running theme a little bit between these books, even though they're by different authors, of how the nothing, I guess there is almost kind of like this nothing in society right now. and. And maybe it's time, maybe to save... Fantastica to save our imaginations is to start using them again and to start thinking again about I mean, what kind of society do we want to you know create for ourselves and I don't mean like some utopian thing but I'm just saying that or, or that there's going to be a one-size-fits-all um, I think you know it'll probably be like local communities and that kind of thing it's just an interesting thought, like how how can we begin to use our imaginations to create a, a more fulfilling life for ourselves or for the people around us, and how can we discern maybe not so much judgment but discernment? How can we begin to discern between the delusions and the lies and the truth? So that that that's kind of what I was thinking about as I was reading. Uh, the never-ending story, especially that uh, exchange between Artreu and the Gomorrah where he was saying that, you know, there are those manipulators that try and manipulate human belief to do what they want. And if you kind of think about how the manipulators—I mean, you can't think about the manipulators as um, the kind of like the, I guess, the industrial. Ruling class or the, the parasitic class, there's different names for them, but I want to go a bit further than that because I, I start to think, uh, I, I was thinking about this a little while for the last little while, how there's always this, or not always, but there one of the things that this power structure uses to, to divide people is, you know, the, the left and right paradigm. Where, you know, it's the left versus the right, and your left wing or your right right wing, left wing have certain political views, the right wing have certain political views, the, and they're both idiots, and they both don't know what they're talking about, and blah, 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 and you have, like, the political parties using that to their advantage to, you know, create this drama and to think, trick people into thinking that voting is going to solve anything, it won't um and it's just to really you know having people going at each other and but really they're two sides of the same coin um <clears throat> there's another book that I read recently or actually well it was about a year ago so it wasn't really wasn't that recent but it's a book it was by Ingo Swan and it's called The Secrets of Power Volume 1 and he was talking about the power structure and how it's kind of made up. And he was saying that there's overt and covert power. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of narcissism. I know I'm kind of getting away from the never-ending story, but I'll come. I'll circle back to that. Don't worry. So it's kind of like um, it reminds me of narcissism. If you want to have a bit more of a, a personalized example. But you know how there's overt narcissists and covert narcissists? Well, there's overt forms of power and then there's covert forms of power. So the overt stuff would be like your, your uh, right wing. It would be like the military, the police, the firearms, uh, you know, the stuff that you can see. And then the covert would be like the, the liberal, the left, the left wing. And it's the stuff you can't see, but it's there. It's like the reforms, it's uh, institutions that support the power structure. Even though it, they say it, it seems that they don't, but they really do. Like the media and the you know academia and so on. It would be you know those softer forms of control. It's like. Having a friend, or maybe not really a friend, but having someone who's pretending to be friendly and smiling at you, but really they secretly they they're trying to plot your downfall or they're using you, but they're just being friendly about it, you know. Uh, so that's kind of how that's kind of how I see it. Like it's just it really is just two sides of the same coin. And to think that you know these politicians and stuff aren't hanging out and high-fiving each other and and whatnot behind closed doors is just no <laughs> they're doing that like they're in on it together it's just a show like they give us a show for the cameras but behind closed doors they're, they're buddies like they're friends <laughs> maybe there is some like you know petty squabbling and stuff like that but you know they, they know who their masters are they know what the big picture is and they serve that and it's just, the, the rest of it's just kind of window dressing. It's like perfume on a pig. And and then they have, and they're not even in charge. They're kind of like the middle managers. It's like the, the power brokers, you know, are like the rich families that, you know, you kind of hear about them in conspiracy, conspiracy land. They're not really conspiracies because it's true there are moneyed interests out there. And they do have... A lot of influence, and they exercise a lot of influence in this structure to to keep it intact. Um, But I want to go further than that, and I want to start going further than that than that in my show and look at the energy behind it. Because I was thinking about this, and and this will kind of take us back to. I'll take the. I'm going to use this to circle back to Fantasia in a second. There is an an energy. Is it kind of a predatory energy? Um, no, it, sorry, not kind of. It is a predatory energy that is behind this power structure. Um, you can call the this, maybe the structure itself is the predatory structure, uh, but it is an energy. And so even if, and I was wondering, I was thinking about this, like, even if, let's say, you had the industrial ruling class like got on their silly little rockets and they flew off and they left the rest of us alone <clears throat> you know maybe they go they go into the sun or something and they left the rest of the planet alone but the structure still exists well nature abhors a vacuum and it would be filled by something and if the structure if the energy that's behind the structure is still there would it just Fill itself back up with more, more of the same. So I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's not so much. But maybe understanding the energy and the structure and how this system works is the way to liberate ourselves from it. Uh, and the system, another word for it is the machine. Yeah, you know, the machine counts on broken people, and it Breaks things in order to make money, or to have control. And and that's what it, it's it wants to do. It wants to continue to break things, to break humans, break the human beings, all to break all beings, and eventually make money, and to continue to make money off of it uh, through blockchain, through social impact investing, and so on. So, and that's maybe that's why I read these books, is because perhaps through these children's books maybe through books on spirituality and health and wellness and books on uh, electricity and understanding energy maybe those that's where the there, therein lies the key to to figuring this out to trying to use our creative and the gift of our creative intelligence to think our way out of this and to to respect our imaginations and to respect our um our fantastica worlds, and, and reading does really nourish our imaginations. You know, reading stories, or even just listening to stories, the very strong oral traditions around the world as well. So, not just the so it's not just the written world, or sorry, written word. And maybe it's the power of the our imagination that can help us uh, navigate through these weird times and. and Figure something else out because this isn't, If you know, if you allow this system to go on, if you allow the machine to go on, it's it eventually it'll des- it devour everything. And I think it's getting set to do that. And, but another key takeaway for the movie, or sorry, from the book, and I guess the movie, but more so the book, is learning to use our imagination wisely. Like, I think because Bastion has such a low opinion of himself, because he didn't have... And maybe that was the whole point of his journey. He had to go through that in order to discover love, in order to learn how to love others and how to love himself. Um, But before he did that, he was doing... You know, he was just kind of using his imagination for kind of frivolous things. I mean... I will admit that you know I've I've often wished to be maybe stronger or smarter or or faster than I am, and and Bastion went through the same thing. And it's pretty nor and I'd also suspect it's probably normal for a, a ten, eleven, twelve year old boy to maybe to probably wish that he was stronger or faster and so on. And so he kind of um, used his imagination for those kind of more. I guess egoic wants and needs, and but then it started to become uh, dark sided, where he used his imagination along with his willpower to get people to do things, um, you know, to treat people with uh, disrespect, and to you know ha- be he was starting to become bad tempered and controlling, and you know, he was starting to lose his sense of self. And and become like a hollow version of himself by think by, by wishing just on kind of superficial um, superficial things like there wasn't any like they weren't coming from his heart. they weren't heart centered. they were more egoic centered. and perhaps he had to go through that dark moment in his life in order to find, those heart center, like what he really wanted, what really truly mattered to him. Uh, And I think with imagination, sometimes it can go into that dark side. You know, it can be used to be, it can be used to harm. You know, it can be used just for the maybe shallow, frivolous pursuits of only materialism and nothing else and so on. So it was interesting like the it was having your imagination, but then also learning how to use it wisely and responsibly. And I think that's where, uh, that was some of the, one of the biggest lessons for Bastion as he left Fantastica, was how to use his imagination, the gift of his imagination, responsibly and, and wisely. And I think that, you know, maybe that's a, also a caution is as we learn to use our imaginations, is just learning how to, at least for me, learning how to use it wisely. You know, learning how to use the gift um, of my intelligence with wisdom and responsibility and not just on, not just solely on, you know, like material things. Not that that in itself is a bad thing, but just too much of that focus. And I'm maybe more, maybe starting to more Think about love as well. Overall, I enjoyed reading the Neverending Story, and I'll probably keep it on my bookshelf for many years to come. And as we now that as we're winding up the show, I appreciate everyone coming out and uh, listening. And if you enjoyed what you heard, please hit the subscribe button and share the show with your friends. Next week, I'm going to be uh, focused on I'm gonna start focusing more on health and wellness and I'm gonna read Edgar Casey's Healing Foods I've read it before but I'm gonna reread it again and it's just basically about an alkaline diet so I'm gonna share share my thoughts on that book next week and in the meantime I hope everyone has a great enjoys the rest of the week and the weekend and thanks for stopping by the cafe. Chao.